Welcome back to another AP World podcast. We are going to be looking at the Mongols now here in chapter 11 of the Strayer textbook. Uh, we're going to break this uh, podcast up into four parts. Uh, the first part is going to be kind of looking back at history uh, with what came before the Mongols, so all those um, nomadic tribes. Then our second part is going to be on the Mongols and their conquest. Uh, then uh, the third part is going to be the three different regions uh, that the textbook breaks up um, into showing them how the Mongols interacted with those specific regions. And then the last part's uh, going to be looking at kind of the Mongol network as a, a whole with the culture and diplomacy that was, that was going on there. So uh, we're going to be diving into all those. Um, and the first thing to kind of just bring up as a reminder is that we've had uh, ever since the uh, settlement of peoples or the birth of agriculture, we've had a, a fight going on. Um, I should say since the Neolithic Revolution, we've had a fight going on between pastoral people and sedentary people that are growing crops uh, for the good land. And the Mongols are going to be the last major incidents that we have this clash going on. Um, there will be a couple other pastoral groups that will uh, pop up, uh, but for the most part, this is going to be the last last time we see something like this. So, um, looking at pastoral societies, what do they look like? Well, they have a smaller population, uh, but they they need a larger amount of territory because they need to be constantly moving with their animals. Uh, they'll live in small villages, and they'll be organized by kinship, um, with usually men having the more prominent role. However, um, there aren't many differences in ranking because everyone's got to pull their part and even women aren't fully um, like downtrodden or, or put down like they are in an agricultural based society because they have to do work um, and so they have higher status there's less restrictions on them uh, they're expected to do more to, to help out with things um, they're raising kids they're helping with animals especially the smaller ones they're preparing food they're making clothing they're doing all that stuff so because of all those responsibilities they have um, more rights are, are, are more equal. Um, and the really key thing here is like, you can't live on your own and be a pastoralist. You need a community there. So that's why you see more equality between the groups, less, less social divisions like we have in the agricultural based societies. Um, and so, um, in your small community, your, your kinship community, then you're going to join with other ones to help control the land so that you can make sure you still have access to the, that pastoral land that you need and so that you can't get taken over by another group. So you see people banding together into what we'd call confederations, which are really decentralized uh, forms of government. Um, if you want some modern examples of it, you can think of it like uh, the Confederate States or what the United States was before it actually became the United States uh, after the American Revolution. Um, but the problem is they never really last very long. A confederation is very weak because it's just based on agreements that we're going to work together. But if it doesn't work out, I'm going to go my own separate way. <coughs> so um, we see that going on there. Um, now, if, if you're a man in this kind of society, uh, most likely you're going to be part of the military uh, in some way. And that's a natural thing because you're going to need to know how to use a bow or whatever it may be um, for hunting. And so then that, those skills are going to transfer over to fighting. And um, you're going to fight through small raids. Usually usually you don't see a mage or army, but as the confederations grow and as you get powerful leaders, sometimes they make large armies like uh, Attila the Han and, and Genghis Khan and others like that. Um, now, 
these communities are usually on the outsides of the agricultural um, societies, civilizations, and um, they're not like constantly fighting with each other. They, they do work together. And so you do see them adopting things or you see them sending things like uh, the stirrup and the saddle. Those things came from um, pastoral communities that then get pushed to the agricultural societies. And um, the, the uh, pastoral communities need some of that food that's grown um, to feed themselves through the winter and stuff like that. So they want some of those finished products that they can't make as well. Um, so silk and other things like that. Um, they will also adopt uh, kind of religions of those. Uh, this is where we see Buddhism and Islam spreading uh, into Central Asia. And um, yeah, that's kind of the basic backgrounds of those pastoral communities. Then we got the uh, Mongols. And so, or before the Mongols, sorry. So the, the most famous ones in northern China are known as the Xiongnu. Um, and they, they kind of got to a centralized government, and they were really pressing hard on the Han, which is one of the reasons why the Han Dynasty collapses. Um, they're in the um, region of northern China, Mongolia, and Manchuria, and um, they, they did a ranking within their clans with ones being like hired based on their connection with the leaders uh, and ones being lower and also based on what they were able to do. Um, there's also a, a cool belief that the Zhongnu actually become the Huns. There, there's a debate about it in the historical community right now. Uh, and I apologize for this tangent, but it was really uh, cool to learn about earlier this year. Um, and that uh, the Zhongnu's name actually, as they go west, uh, becomes the, the Huns. Um, and then they break off into the white, uh, the white Huns, which go down and attack India. And then the Huns that will eventually be led by Attila, and they go and attack uh, Rome. So um, that's the Zhongnu. Uh, they're the most prominent ones um, in East Asia until we get to the Mongols um, in Central Asia. Then you got uh, the Arabs. Uh, remember, the Arabs were a Bedouin community um, of traders in Arabia, and they uh, focused on using camels and trade and things like that and focused on that trade route across the, the Silk Road there. And so uh, they were a nomadic community. They then go bursting out with uh, Islam under that banner, and they go and just dominate the world of North Africa, getting into Spain and, and going into uh, Persia and eventually um, in, in large parts of the Byzantine Empire. Uh, then you get the Turks who get brought in by the Arabs uh, in their empires, especially the Abbasid. The Abbasid brings the Turks in as their fighters and converts them. Uh, but they are also a nomadic group from Central Asia. Um, this is like where you get like Turkmenistan and stuff like that from. Um, they had a loose confederation known as the Kaga or Kangan. Um, and um, this then changed uh, when they became part of the Islamic Empire. Um, and when they adopted Islam, they eventually, instead of being called the Kagan, uh, they became the Sultan. And so that's why we have um, <clears throat> the Ottomans will have sultans when we look at the Ottomans here um, next unit. Um, and they attacked uh, parts of China, uh, western China. Uh, they attacked Persia, or, or became part of Persia when, when, the, when they were integrated there, and they helped uh, attack Byzantines, and that's when you get the Ottoman Turks taking over the Byzantines. Um, and roughly they converted just around 10th, the 10th century. Um, and then last uh, but not least, we got the Berbers, uh, and they're in North Africa, and they convert to Islam. 
um, and they get known as the Almoravid Empire, um, and they also use horses and, and camels, and they help with the gold and salt trade uh, going across the Sahara Desert there. So um, those are just some of the ones before we get to this uh, massive Mongol uh, invasion coming up next.